Now, the sermon title for today is called Leftovers. For those who weren't here last Sunday, the congregation had the opportunity to write down any question they've ever wanted to ask about religion, the church, God, whatever. And um, there were so many questions. Uh, It was incredible, and I was so grateful for all the questions. Um, And time will not allow, in this format, with two Sundays dedicated to trying to answer the questions, will not allow all the questions to be answered. So I'm going to do the best I can uh, with our limited format. Uh, We can't get to every question. Um, And last week, I was uh, reminded that there is not time to even go into each question with the depth and level of response that I would like to be able to do. And so the takeaway sometimes might be frustrating or inadequate. And for that, I apologize, but it is um, one of the limitations of this format. But if I don't get to your question, um, please feel welcome to contact me uh, by phone or email or whatever, and I'd love to get together for uh, a time of coffee and conversation if that would be helpful on your journey. So I will make that sincere offer to each and every one of you who asked a question. Thanks to the Bible study class that met on Wednesday, I was helped in understanding how we should continue, how to prioritize I read all the questions, and they helped me prioritize them uh, in the order I'm going to go here in just a second, and uh, I want to thank the Bible study class for helping me. And they also said, just sit on the stool again and answer the questions. Don't try to write a sermon in response uh, with, you know, a a logical, necessarily A, B, C kind of thing. Just just let the congregation know um, your thoughts about these matters. So having said all that, I'll say what I said last week. Please know that what I'm going to talk about are my own thoughts, my own reflections, my own understandings. Um, They're obviously formed over a long period of being uh, in the ministry and with the educational background I have, but I am not trying to speak for you. One of the beauties of our traditions is is that each person is encouraged to come to his or her faith uh, on their own, based on your own experiences, your own understanding and the gifts and uniquenesses that God has given you. We need each other. It's great to have conversation because our ideas Um, come together and we think, and when we question each other, it makes us think a little bit more and a little bit more deeply. And so questions are good in that way. Uh, Even had the confirmation class uh, do this last Sunday. They got to ask questions, and they had some great questions. So um, anyways, we're a church full of questions. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All right. Um, You know, the other thing I wanted to say by way of uh, introduction is that it may be because there aren't answers to all our questions, and I certainly don't pretend to have all the answers. Um, and people have been struggling with these things throughout history. Um, and so there were a lot of questions about world religions, and I'm not going to go into that because we had a class about it. But it may be that one of the reasons we have so many different traditions and religions in the world is because people have been trying to wrestle with these things ever since the consciousness of humankind. People have been wondering about things, the afterlife, what happens after we die, and all these other kinds of things. And there are different ways and experiences and expressions of how to do that. So that may be one reason we have so many different religions in the world. I want to also say that education or the spiritual movement is from cocksured ignorance to thoughtful uncertainty. Just think about that in your own life for a minute that the religious movement and much of education is a movement from cocksure ignorance to thoughtful uncertainty. So with that, 
backdrop, uh, let's begin. So the first question is, why are there so many poor people in the world, and do the majority of people of most religions believe in giving to the poor of the world? Um, well, I can't fully answer that. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. But I can say that one of the reasons we have so many poor people is because we also have so many greedy people. And a lot of the poverty, not all poverty, but a lot of poverty is because we just haven't learned how to be kind and compassionate with each other. And um, that's not an easy answer, and it's not a once-and-for-all answer. But we have poverty in part because of what we do to each other. That doesn't take it away. That doesn't answer it all, but that's part of it. And then the second part of the question would be, do most religions believe in helping people who are in difficult situations, poverty and, and otherwise? The answer is yes. Most religions, world religions, have a compassionate heart and want to care for others uh, in the world. And for us, our biblical tradition says that we are our brothers and sisters keeper, that we have a responsibility to one another. So the next question um, had to do with um, the ongoing struggle with the influence of church and state in our country and that influence going both ways. Now, this is a huge topic. I'm not going to try to settle this once and for all. Um, but I do want to offer a few um, thoughts about it because um, that relationship of our responsibility as citizens as well as as a country as well as persons of faith is that we do have a responsibility to those who don't have much, to those who, are, who live in poverty. And uh, fortunately, our country has had a positive response to that and at least has wanted to try to make a difference so that people don't have to live in extreme poverty. Um, but one of the things, um, some people um, say to me, don't bring politics into the pulpit. And I think what they really mean is, don't say anything that I wouldn't agree with. Um, I'm a big believer, just so you know, I'm a, I've said this before, but I'm a big believer in the separation of church and state. I think our founding, uh, uh, our founding forebears were really smart about that, keeping a separation of church and state. But I don't believe there should be a separation between a Christian and his or her politics. Your faith as an individual should inform how you respond politically. And so I want to make it very clear that I would never, ever suggest bringing partisan politics into the church, okay? So let's just be clear about that. And I think that's what many people mean. Don't, if you're one way or the other, if you're a Republican, don't push that on the congregation. Or if you're a Democrat, don't push that on the congregation. I would never do that. However, um, it was William Sloan Coffin, Jr., who was the senior minister at Riverside Church in many years, he said that I'll stop bringing politics, in the best sense of the word, I'll stop bringing those into the pulpit as soon as the, polit the political machinery of our world stops affecting those for whom Christ died. In other words, if what's happening in politics impacts people and how they live, and the least among us, then we as Christians have a, a responsibility and an obligation to respond in some way. So, um, uh, and let's not forget, Jesus was crucified not by other religious folks. He was actually crucified by the state. He was crucified by the state. So you can't separate Jesus from politics, and we can't separate ourselves either, but we have to do it in a sensitive way. And uh, I hope that makes sense. 
All right, moving on. These get uh, really interesting here. The next one is not including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who are some women leaders in the Bible that young girls can look to today as role models? And I actually gave this question a little thought, and I was going to give you some background, but for the sake of time, I can't go into each one's story. But we have Lois and Eunice. We have Esther, Ruth, Mary Magdalene, Priscilla, and so forth. There are a number of women. All you have to do is Google it. (laughs) Important women of the Bible. And you will find dozens and their stories and scriptural references as to what their role was. And they're important. So to all the young uh, girls and women and anybody, men who are interested, it's right there at the push of a button. Okay. How does evolution fit in with Genesis? Anybody else want to come up and answer this? (laughs) In the book of... Another question. There are a couple related. In the book of Genesis, it says creation took six days with... One day of rest. How long was a day? How does religious belief in creationism deal with science and evolution? And uh, finally, uh, well, that that was pretty much it. So, um, all right, I feel like I have to really give condensed uh, responses to this. I believe, again, this is David Young. I believe, and, and keep in mind, there are two different stories of creation in Genesis. Not just one, but two different versions. I believe they are both myths or stories. And just because they're myths and not necessarily factually true doesn't mean they don't contain a great deal of truth. I believe they do. That's the beauty of the biblical writers. They had this imagination and capacity to create imagery. Much as God created the world, they created these wonderful Stories, not about how it happened, which is where we with scientific minds get hung up about. They were interested in why it happened and what happened with God's creating the world and what's our responsibility in relationship to it. And that's what I think is so wonderful about it. So I don't believe it was done in six earth days. I tend to go along with evolution, but I do believe God was part of it. And God did create the world as we have it. Um, But I don't take those stories literally, but look for the truth that they can tell us about why God did it and how we're to live in response to it. And there could be other sermons just on those particular points. Um, So um, you may have a different idea, and that's great. Is it possible there's only one God who the various religions all pray to with their different beliefs? I think that's true. I believe in a, I, we're, we're, we have a monotheistic faith as Christians. Um, we believe in one God, not many gods. And whether a, a person is of a particular faith, I believe that when people pray, they're praying to the one divine spirit. Um, and there are different ways up the mountain, um, but we're, I believe we're all headed in that same direction. There are just many different paths. Um, People who think their way is the only way, um, there are people like that. And they're trying to convince everybody else that their way is the only way. And they're like somebody who's on the mountain, circling the mountain, telling everybody who comes up the mountain, hey, here's the way over here. There's just one path up the mountain. The problem with those people is they're not going up the mountain. So regardless of whether the way is paved and a smooth path or whether you're in 
briars and thickets and all kinds of different ways. Um, there are different ways up the mountain, but I do believe it's, it's the same God. Another question is, is it absolutely necessary to be baptized to enter the kingdom of God? And my answer would be no. It's not required. It's not necessary. Baptism does not change our condition. There, there has been a notion for some in Christianity that unless you're baptized, you can't go to heaven. That's not part of our faith as Reformed people. Um, we believe that everyone is a child of God, regardless of whether there's nothing we can do to take that away, that we're all children of God. We're all loved by God. And it isn't our actions that change one's ability to be loved by God. You are loved by God no matter what, whether you're baptized or not. Baptism is really are just saying yes to that. And we're affirming that we are, are a child of God and we want to live in that reality. We don't understand it all, but we want to live in that reality. Okay, we're going to take a few more minutes because um, this last one is, is, there were a lot of these. I want you to conduct my celebration of life when I pass away. Do you, David Young, believe in an afterlife? An Episcopal priest told me that when we die, we go to heaven as the spirit and not as we appear as we do in life. What's the teaching of the UCC? When I die, will I recognize my daughter, my parents, and brother who have all predeceased me, predecessed me? Is there a hell? What happens after death? Do non-believers go to heaven? Wow. We could stay all day and discuss this. So I'm going to give you, again, a very quick response uh, to this question, these questions. Um, first of all, yes, I do believe in some kind of life beyond this life. I do. Uh, but this, is, this whole area is, is something that nobody can prove. So we have to start this conversation by saying there's no proof here only belief or faith or what we sort of know from what we've been told or what we've experienced or whatever. So there's no, there's nobody has the truth on this, the absolute read on this. So I'm going to, again, tell you what I think. Um, I shared some of this with the Bible study class. I believe that my life uh, on earth is a gift, okay? I had nothing to do with my coming into the world a few years ago. Um, when I was born, my life was a gift. That's how I receive my life. It's a gift. Did nothing to earn it. Don't necessarily deserve it. It's just a gift to be received, to be lived out, and to be grateful for. And I believe that whatever happens on the other side of this life will be a gift. I'm not... I don't believe in the Greek notion of immortality of the soul, that somehow when I die, my soul's just going to float free because I was guaranteed on my birth certificate, David Young will live forever. I don't believe that. I believe that whatever life I have beyond this life is a gift from God, just as my life now is a gift from God. I could talk a lot more about resurrection and what that means. Time isn't going to allow for that, so come Easter Sunday, we will talk about resurrection. Um, and uh, the fact that Jesus was actually dead, he was dead, he wasn't pretending to be asleep, he wasn't, had an immortal soul, he was dead. And on Easter morning, God, by the power of God, raised him from the dead and gave him new life, and that's, that's basically what I believe. Okay? There are different ways. Some people 
believe in reincarnation. We typically, we don't as Christians, but some traditions do. Um, and do non-believers uh, go to heaven? I believe it's a package deal. This is just, some people aren't going to like to hear this, but I'm going to tell you what I really believe. I believe it's a package deal. We're all in this together. All of us. Not just Christians, not just Muslims, not just Jews, not just everybody of different and then different denominations within that. I believe that we're all created in God's image. Every single human being is a child of God. And Scripture tells us that God loves us like a parent, only more so. I don't know about you and the love you receive from your parents or the love for those of you who have children, what the love for your children is. But I know that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that my children could ever do that would stop me from loving them. I might get pissed as hell. I mean, they could kill somebody. I'd be so upset and disappointed and angry, but I wouldn't stop loving them. And if God loves us like that, then, then I just don't see how God wants to punish us at the end of the day. I think God welcomes us in and says, you've had a rough life, or whatever it is. The other thing I'm going to tell you about that is, um, so I believe everybody is loved by God, and that whatever gift of life we have here, we all got equally, where, where, regardless of our circumstances, and wherever we got born, anywhere around the globe, that's just the way it happened. And I believe that when we all pass on from this life, we'll go on to whatever it is God has for all of us. Now, here's the difference between heaven and hell. I think it's the same place. I think that if you've lived your life wanting to be in relationship with God, and maybe you haven't been perfect in that, but you've done your best, you've tried to live in having a right relationship with God, and you've loved God, and you've wanted to thank God and praise God, which is part of what worship is about, that if, if being in eternity is being in God's presence, then going to be in God's presence for eternity will be heaven for you. But if you've denied God, if you've flown in the face of the gifts that you've been given and have lived a completely self-centered, horrible life, treated people terribly, no use for God, no sense of that, when you go to be in God's presence, what's that going to be? It's going to be hell. It's going to be hell at least for a while. So, that's David Young's two cents. I'm sure you have other thoughts, um, and I welcome the conversation, the dialogue, um, but these questions are terrific, and I'm going to keep all the questions, because um, there's a lot more that haven't been addressed in these two sermons, but I'm going to keep them on my desk for a while, and they will I can't promise that they'll come out in future sermons, but uh, there may be a time when, when they can, and again, I offer uh, an ongoing conversation for all of us, really. Uh, talk with each other, but feel free to talk with uh, me. And if you don't get the right answer from me, uh, you'll get a better answer if you talk to Michael, probably. So. <laughs>